Good morning, church. I'm going to do that one more time. Good morning, church. All right, good. If you didn't give me something good then, I was going to have you do calisthenics, but you you answered it well. Uh, My name is Paul Erminger, if we haven't had the opportunity to meet yet. I get to work with the middle school students here at Union Chapel, and it's my joy to be sharing from God's Word with you today. And and as is our way of honoring the reading of, of the Word, would you please stand with me as we read today's scripture? Today's scripture comes from Hebrews chapter 10, verses 14 through 17. For by one sacrifice he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. The Holy Spirit also testifies to us about this. First he says, this is the covenant I will make with them after that time, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their hearts and I will write them on their minds. Then he adds, their sins and lawless acts I will remember no more. And God inspires through these important words today. Go ahead and be seated. In 2004, there was a six foot ten NBA prospect, an 18-year-old kid who was making waves in high school basketball. He, he was given the McDonald's High School Player of the Year award. He, he was well known. He, he compared himself to LeBron James and wanted to have that kind of an impact on the game. And as he was getting some attention in interviews, ESPN went to his house and interviewed him, and you know took pictures of his room. And, and ESPN took specific interest in the homemade cross that was up on his wall in his room. They also noticed some of the verses and things that are on his wall, and they took specific notice that there's this crudely drawn NBA logo with a cross in the middle of it. And so they asked him, this 18-year-old kid, you know, what's the deal with that? And, And he begins to talk about, you know, his passion for God, his passion to see the world change, his passion to see the NBA recognize the importance of Christianity and actually change the NBA logo to incorporate a cross in it. The, the journalists began having some fun with this 18-year-old naive little kid. And they talked about it and talked about it and talked about it. And you know, they said, well, we'll just see what happens with him. Uh, he did get drafted into the NBA. Um, he has had a, a very good career. But, but unfortunately, a lot of how he thought he was going to change the world didn't work out. He fathered some kids out of wedlock. Uh, He began to be known as a whiner amongst journalists in the NBA. And and though he's been an all-star, he he hasn't really made that splash that he thought he wanted to make. He didn't get to move people around the way that he wanted to make. And he's still a follower of Christ, and and I don't want to pick on him today. But I just want us to think, you know, what would it take for us to, to change the world? Would it take celebrity and millions of dollars because at least... In one story, and there, there's many, many more, that's not how it worked. And if you're wondering, the name of the, the, the basketball player is Dwight Howard. Yeah, he's a well-known name. He's a big guy. And he started off with this ferocious passion for Christ and thought he was going to do great things. And, and he kind of fluttered out in some of it. And, and he's still believing in the name, and he's still trying to do his best, best but he's definitely had some struggles. And I, I'm not picking on Dwight today because I associate with struggles, I associate with the struggle of living for Christ and doing the things that you don't want to do. I I understand that. I felt that. But I want us to look at today, what is God's plan to change the world? Because I think it's different than what we would normally think it is. Because we would say, if I had the money, if I had the big name, if I had the 10-step program, if I could get this, I could just move people around. And that's not really how God wants to do it. And in fact, his plan for changing the world was in the verses that we just read. And it's throughout the pages of Scripture. And it's a lot more simple than we would begin to think. Um, Tolstoy is someone who 
struggled with his faith through his life, and he has this quote that I think really encapsulates the truth of how God wants to change the world well. Everyone thinks of changing the world, but no one thinks of changing himself. Everyone thinks of changing the world, but no one thinks of changing themselves. God's plan to change the world isn't based upon controlling the crowd's behavior, but in changing your heart and in freeing your heart. The the first thing that I want to talk to you about tonight, the first point that I want to make, is that we change the world by allowing God to heal our heart. And, And that's written in a very specific way with the preconceived notion within it that might be hard to swallow a little bit, but our hearts need to be healed. There's the preconceived notion that there's something wrong with our heart, and it's true. Sin affects us. It affects our heart. It affects our life. It affects our mind. And we are in need of God to come in and heal what's going on in our heart and in our life. And one of the things that I think is a holdup to so much of the church in relating to God and living for God is that we like to hold on to our past mistakes. And maybe we don't enjoy it, but it just seems like this behavior that we repetitively do where we say, you know, I just, uh, I understand that I'm forgiven, but I just, I can't do that because I've made these mistakes in the past. I can't help out at church because of the type of person that I've been and that I am sometimes. And we look at ourselves and we won't forgive what God has already forgiven. And if you want to know God's perception of you, just look at the first part of our verse for today. For by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. If you're a believer in Christ, in God's eyes, he has made you perfect. The righteousness that Christ earned through his life of never sinning and dying on the cross and rising again from the dead, the perfection that Christ has, has been given to all those who trust in the name of Jesus Christ. And so when he sees you, he doesn't see your past mistake. He sees a dearly loved child that is perfect as Jesus himself. And so when we make the excuses that I can't do this because of what I've done, I've made too many mistakes, too many things were forced into my life, we we miss God's perception of us. And if you want to know how far your sins are from you, it was written in Psalm 103, verses 11 and 12, for as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Let go of your past. Let go of your mistakes. God has forgiven them. To the believers in Christ in this room, I want to correct your thinking on what your greatest sin has been. And we have some really talented sinners in this room. I know that. We are capable of great, great sins. And I know that because the guy with the Britney Spears mic attached to his face has committed many, many in his life. I have messed up, but my greatest sin, your greatest sin, it's not the things that our culture thinks are the greatest sins. It's not not the abortion. It's not the murder. It's not the adultery. Those are not the greatest sins. The greatest sin is disbelieving God. That when he looks at you and says, I love you, and you fail to feel like he could love you, that's the greatest sin. The greatest sin is when he says you're forgiven of not believing it. Our greatest sin is disbelieving God. It's not the other things from the past. It's thinking that Christ's sacrifice on the cross was not enough for me. 
that God's sacrifice of his son couldn't possibly cover, couldn't possibly remove this. And we would probably never say it that way, but that's what our actions say. When we hold on to the guilt of the past, when God says, I have freed you from it, our greatest sin is disbelieving God. And God, since the Old Testament, he's been in this work of saying, I want to reach in and I want to heal your heart. He's been at it since the olden times. In Ezekiel 36, 27, he talked about this and he said, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. God has been in this work of making things, all things new in us for so long, but we struggle to believe that God really forgave. God, by his power, has made you spiritually perfect forever. With one sacrifice, God has made you perfect forever. And and this verse that we're looking at today, it, it has this interesting piece to it that He has made us perfect forever, those who are being made holy. And this can be kind of a confusing thing, and the theological term for this idea, it's called sanctification. It's a big, scary, theological, five-syllable word, but I don't want you to freak out on me. It just simply means this, to be set apart. Sanctification, or the idea of Christ taking you and making you be holy forever in his sight, it's this idea that you have been set apart, that those who are carrying their sins and not dealing with their sins, that God has taken you and removed you and put you in a position where you're forever holy in his sight. And sanctification, that's called positional sanctification. You are placed in that position once you're a believer in Christ and you are never moved. But at the same time, there's this idea of progressive sanctification that we see in the latter half of this verse, where it says, those who are being made holy. This idea that within our life, the mess that God found me in when I first became a Christian, God is not going to leave me in that mess. That God is going to begin to author a work in my life and in my heart and in my mind of changing me and bringing me out of those things. And just the way that we say Jesus is our Savior, we should also be able to say Jesus is my sanctifier. He is the one who is changing my life. And there's an important distinction of salvation and sanctification that that I want you guys to have. So here's just a few different points of of the difference. Salvation, it's the deliverance from the penalty of sin, the spiritual penalty of sin. Sanctification is the deliverance from the feeling of death in our life as we live. Salvation, it's freedom from the power of sin in our life. And sanctification is freedom to live away from the chains of sin, away from the addictions. Salvation is release from the guilt of the past And sanctification is being equipped for the temptations of the future. Salvation is Christ's righteousness imputed to us or given to us. And sanctification is Christ's righteousness manifest in us. Salvation is Jesus bringing us to life. And sanctification is Jesus living through us. I want you guys to begin to see sanctification is this where the rubber meets the road in our faith of God being at work in us. And Jesus is at work in you today if you're a believer in Christ. He is wanting to speak to you. He is wanting to lead you. He desires you to have peace and patience and kindness and goodness and self-control. And Galatians chapter 5.22 talks about the fruits of the Spirit. And I want to rest on this for just a minute because the the fruits of the Spirit, it it can often be confused with the gifts of the Spirit. And Scripture talks about 
that when we believe in Christ, that he's going to impart into us a gift to build up and encourage and equip the church for acts of good service. Every single one of us. Some of, it's give, some of us, it's speaking. Some of it's us, it, our gift is service. Some of us, administration. There's, there's different gifts, and everyone has different ones. But the fruits of the Spirit, that, that's, that's something that wherever the Spirit of God is, anyone who trusts in Christ for salvation, the Spirit of God is going to come into their life, and he's going to begin to develop these fruits. And every single believer should be showing these through the way they live their life. Galatians chapter 5.22 says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And I, I want to talk about this for a moment because you know, there, there's a duct tape theology that, that we've seen at work in, in the church where it says, okay, you know, peace and love and joy and you know, here's, the, here's the Christian rules, here's the Christian behaviors that I need to just kind of duct tape onto me. Uh, I'm supposed to have these you know, hanging on me like a tree and so I'm just going to add them. And, and when you do that and you try to live that way of just kind of faking these things, you know, it, the fruit begins to rot pretty quickly. It begins to feel fake. It begins to feel like I'm trying to do this and I'm trying to put an effort towards this, but it just doesn't feel authentic. And after a while, it feels stale and you begin to question, you know, am I connected to God because these things aren't growing, these things that I've taped onto myself. And, and that's not the way that it should be. It, it's not about the external rules. It's not about the external faking it. But it's about when God comes into your life, He's going to begin to grow things in your heart. He's going to begin to change your taste for sin. He's going to begin to cha change the way that you see things. And these things should begin to grow out of your life. And it's not that I'm telling you, you need to just fake these things and do these things, and that way you look like a good Christian, and that way we can impact our community. And that's not what it's about. But God wants to impact our community. He wants to impact your household through an authentic growth that comes from his spirit in your life. And these fruits of the Spirit, they, they, they are benchmarks for you to look at and say, am I allowing the Spirit of God to, to work in my life? Because if I am, then I should be seeing these things. It, it, it's sort of like this. I, I have three daughters. I talk about them all the time um, just because they're, they're such a big part of my life. They, they teach me so much about God and about trying to stay mentally sane as a parent. Um, they, they, they're, they're six. Ella's six. Aaliyah turns four tomorrow. And... Um, Odessa is two and a half. And so our house is like uh, a princess insane asylum. There's princess stuff everywhere and it's all crazy. Um, everything is pink. My daughter Ella has a pink scooter and she's been learning to ride it. And we, her and I were off on our own going on a walk through the neighborhood a couple days ago. And, and you know, she's, she's kicking along on the scooter a little closer to the, the side of the road and I'm more out in the middle. And I see a patch of rocks coming up. And I say, Ella, you need to come a little bit more towards me um, because there's some stuff coming up. And she looks at me, and she just keeps kicking straight ahead. I'm like, kids, what are you doing? There's, you know, and so sure enough, the, the front of the scooter meets the rock patch ahead. And scooters, when they have a rock in the front of the wheel, they kind of turn into catapults. And that, that's what happened. And, and somehow, she landed well. She didn't cut herself up or anything. But, you know, I looked at her like, did you not just hear me? And she looked up at me, and she goes... Well, I just learned something. <laughs> you know, it, it, it's a lot easier when we learn those lessons from, from what our Father tells us than from, you know, hitting the ground, but sometimes that's how it happens. But I want you to know that's how it happens in our spiritual growth within our life as well. Our Father speaks to us, and He guides us through His Scriptures, and His Spirit moves us, and, and we know what we should do, 
But we have this internal struggle of do we choose to hear his voice and obey it? Healing our heart, growing in our faith, it's this act of listening to our Father. Billy Graham said it this way of Christianity. Being a Christian is more than just an instantaneous conversion. It is a daily process whereby you grow to be more and more like Christ. Let me give that to you one more time. Being a Christian is more than just an instantaneous conversion. It is a daily process whereby you grow to be more and more like Christ. This process happening of growth, it's something spiritual. You cannot make yourself any more holy than you could make yourself saved. It's something that God does within us. And Galatians 1.6 gives us this promise, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. This process of healing our heart, this process of growing in our faith, it's something that God wants to do in us. It's not, you know, pick up the load and just work through it. But he says, I want to move in you. I want to grow and change the way that you see things. I want to be at work in you. And that's why all the glory goes back to God for those who have grown in their faith. When we see a life turned around and people begin to see the world differently, they don't point towards themselves and, you know, I did a great job on me. Um, but they point back to God and say, this, if there's anything good in me, it's God. And as we look at our verse, like in verse 16, it said, this is the covenant I will make with them. After that time, says the Lord, I will put my laws in their, in their hearts and I will write them on their minds. It's all a work of God. And when God begins to write his scriptures, when God begins to write his worldview, the way that he sees things into your mind, the way that we see the world should begin to change. And, and if we talk about, you know, what is the strategy that God has to change the world? The, the second point that I want you guys to see tonight is that we change the world by correcting the way we see the world. When we allow God to, to begin to change our mind, to write his laws and his decrees on our heart and mind, it changes the way that we see the world. And here, here's a quote from James Emery White discussing the Christian worldview. World Apart from a Christian mind, we will either be taken captive by the myriad of worldviews contending for our attention, or we will fail to make the Christian voice heard and considered above the noise. We will either be so consumed by the way that the world sees things, and that will control us, or, you know, if we fail to make the Christian voice heard, you know, there's a lot of noise contending for attention in how we see things. And even when we become a Christian and we feel like, okay, God, you said you want to change my mind, but you know, I've been a Christian for 15 minutes now and things haven't changed yet. And we struggle with the timing of things. You know, the way that we see the problems that we face today, we often see them from the old worldview. That if God is real, then instantaneously things should just be the way that I want them. It's not how God works. God has his own timing and uh, I want to bring out 2 Peter 3.9 to our attention. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. And this verse is actually specifically talking about the return of Christ, but it teaches a principle about how God works that is true in every situation. God has his own timing. And you may face a struggle in your life right now that you would say, God, why aren't you working on this right now? And for some reason, God values us learning obedience over a long period of time. God sees value in us learning to trust him on a long, slow walk where he directs our steps. And it can be difficult at times 
as we run into things and people that, that make it difficult for us as we're going through our daily life. And my, my lack of patience was actually illustrated to me pretty clearly yesterday morning. Uh, are, are we all familiar with the, inter- the four-way stop, the intersection at Riggin and Walnut? Yes, that is a location that will test your sanctification. I, I was on the way to church uh, yesterday and came to the stop, and the, the car crossed from me, went straight, it was his turn, but me and the car to the left, we both stopped, and we kind of tied. And I think if you go in the rule book, it's actually my turn since I was to the right, but we were both very polite fellows and waved at each other, and in about the 1.7 seconds that it took us to wave at each other, the person straight across from me decided that it was his turn to go. The person in front of him just went. It can't be his turn to go yet. And out of principle, I just feel like I should, I should get to just T-bone him because it's evidently my turn and not his. But, you know, once again, I'm on the way to church and I'm a pastor, so I shouldn't do this, especially on a day where I'm going to preach. And... You know, so the next thing that goes through my mind is, you know, well, just tell him he's number one as he drives by. Um, also not a good idea. It might have been Pastor Greg even, and that wouldn't have gone well at staff meeting. And, and, and we run into these issues where we so easily, and we laugh because we're, we all understand. We all understand how frustrated we can get really quick. He messed up my timing. This wasn't supposed to happen today. God's patience makes us uneasy because we realize how differently he sees issues and our problems you know something that that could get me really hot under the collar as dumb as you know a four-way stop is just that's not something that that God is going to get worked up about and says you know you can be okay through that situation for some reason you know God sees that value in us learning lessons of obedience over a time that's longer than we're comfortable with and so often while we're waiting waiting for God to act we decide it's just best to go and do our own thing and, you know, I, I know I shouldn't do this, but here I go. The way that we see our problems, the way that we see our circumstances, the way that we see our waiting, it has to change. We have to allow God to, to begin to write his way of seeing the world on our heart and on our mind. And oftentimes, the, the issues and the problems that we face are, are ones that we've inherited. They're, they're things that we've learned from our family, from our society, and, and it, it may not even feel like it's our fault that we see things this way, but, but we see them this way. And, you know, one of the ways that we see the world, you know, when we talk about we change the world by correcting the way we see the world, I just want to make sure that we're all on the same page with this because according to Scripture, there's no room for racism in God's family. The, The way that we see each other, we need to understand what Genesis teaches us, that all people come from one blood and one family. And God is at the head of that family. And no one is worth less because of the color of their skin. We need to be on the same page as this. A Middle Eastern child's life is not worth less than the life of the child resting in your own home. And God's God's heart breaks over the loss of life of those children and the difficulties that they endure as much as you would as someone in your own family. And I'm not getting into political stuff today, but I'm talking about a Christian worldview of how we see people. We are a world broken by sin, but our sins might look different than someone else's, but they're all the same. And you know, John 3.16, it wasn't written, for God so loved the people in America that look like me and talk like me that he sent his son. It, it was God so loved the world 
You know, the Great Commission is, is go to all nations, not just the easy ones. Go to all nations and make disciples. God wants all of the world to be included in his family. Just as we are adopted, he wants to adopt them in as well. And the way that we see other people needs to change. Men, um, you know, I, I, I call us out on this because we communicate something of value in the way that we look at things. And women, it's true for you too, but specifically, you know, a car passes and your eyes light up and your, you know, your whole body has to turn and, and watch it as it goes. Your, your kids learn what you value by the way that your eyes light up and react. We teach them something about that. We teach the young girls in our society, if you want to be important and, influ- and have influence over the world, and if you want to be strong, then you better look like her. Because that's the only girl who, whose attention that, that I really give to. And, and we teach our girls, if, that, if you want to be important, that's what you need to be like. And we teach our boys, you know, that's what an important girl looks like. If she doesn't look like that, then she must not have real value. And if she begins to stop looking like that, then she's diminished in value. And we teach our children just out of our eyes. And I've seen this and I've felt this. For me as a child, I learned and I adopted one of my mom's passions just from watching her. And it was just something as simple as music. I really enjoy the Beach Boys. That seems out of my time frame, um, and it kind of is, but I grew up dancing in the kitchen floor with my mom to the Beach Boys, you know, back in the 80s, and we had the cassette tapes, and sometimes I could push the fast forward halfway down, and it would be like the chipmunks doing the Beach Boys, and that was even more fun, but uh, I can even remember a specific time where there, there's a radio contest, and my mom told me some more details about this. There's a radio contest in our city uh, that, that we won. I knew that we won it. I didn't realize how we won it. She took the lyrics to every Beach Boy song, which in the 1980s to do this, it took some work. It was printed out on a little ribbon paper that runs down both sides. She took every lyric and printed it out in alphabetical order so that when the radio station said, here's the lyric, call in with the next one and you win Beach Boys tickets, she was fully prepared. And she called in, she won the tickets, and she freaked out. I mean, she was jumping around the house. And I learned, wow, the Beach Boys must be amazing. Look at how my mom is freaking out. And so I freaked out too. And so I got excited about it. And we learn each other's passions from this, not from what we say is important, but we learn from the way that we react. And so if your kids see you dragging your feet, oh, it's time to go to church. I just wish I could sleep in on Sunday. I hope they're not doing communion today because that really disrupts my church service when they do communion and make me walk up and get it. And we have these attitudes. What is your attitude when you're serving God? What do the people in your household think you feel about it? When it costs you something, when you have to give, when you have to give up a Sunday, when you have to give of your finances, are you passionate about Christ's mission because what Christ has done in your heart? Do we drag our feet through it like it's doing our taxes? And and you wonder why some of our kids in our culture don't connect passionately to Christ. It's because they've seen there's no passion in it. It's just something you do. So as soon as I can choose to, I won't do it anymore because it isn't connected to my heart. The way that we see our involvement in the church, the way that we see our involvement in worship, it needs to change. Matthew 6.21 says, For where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. What lights up your heart? 
And I don't tell you this, and once again, this whole sermon is not like, you know, pick up a heavy load, like start, start you know, doing this and make yourself do this, but understand that God wants to be at work in your heart and mind. He wants to authentically author change within you, and he wants to grow you. And sometimes we have to see these areas and analyze them before we'll even open ourselves up to God working in it. So ask yourself the question, you know, what does my heart light up about? Where is my treasure? And let's stop placing our heart in a forest of lust and idolatry and focus our heart on seeing the kingdom of God on earth. How do we view other people? Let's view them through the eyes of the Lord. When we invite God to begin to change what we value, we begin a noble pursuit. When God begins writing his laws on our heart, we begin to see the world differently. And all these things, I, I want you to know, you know, there, there's a lot, there could be a lot of weight of saying, okay, you know, I need to live holy, I need to let, I, I need to do all these things, I need to have the fruits of the Spirit, and, and it could be something that you begin to do under your own strength, but I want you to know, that's not God's plan for changing your heart, for changing your life, for changing your family, or changing the world. It's not about you doing things from your own strength. And, and this is my third point for, for the morning, is we change the world by God's grace and not by our own strength. We change the world by God's grace and not by our own strength. Um, There's a moment that every father is familiar with, and it's the moment of, will my child jump into my arms? And and most dads just live for this moment and love for it. It happens at a pool. Am I dying? Um, It it happens, you know, on staircases in my house. My two-year-old will just jump, whether I'm ready or not, for me to catch her. Um, and, and there's an old story of a dad who was having a particularly hard time with his son getting him to jump. And so the son is up on the porch ledge, dad's down, you know, jump to me, I'll catch you, it's going to be great. And son's like, oh, I'm not so sure. And, and they debate back and forth and eventually the son closes his eyes, leans forward, goes, dad's there, steps away, lets the kid hit the ground. And, and through the, the dust and the tears, leans down and says, that'll teach you a lesson, never trust anyone. Not quite the story that we want to experience, I hope. But isn't that kind of the mentality of our culture? Don't trust anyone. Don't depend on anybody because they'll fail you. You better stand on your own two feet. If you want something done, do it yourself. Be your own person. And, And you know what? I'm all about, like, you know, handle your business. I'm all about that. I'm all about work hard. But in your relationship with God, in your growth, in your faith, You can't do it on your own. It it is impossible. It cannot be done. There is only one person who could do it, and that was God in flesh, Jesus Christ. He's the only one that could walk that walk. And it is not God's plan for you to try to live the Christian life by yourself. It's impossible. God's plan is to be at work in you. We have to fall into our Heavenly Father's arms because we know that He will not fail us. We know that He will hold us. And and we know that He never fails. I want to call attention to all the things that God says that he wants to do in our verse and all the eyes that he placed in this verse that we read today. Starting at verse 14, for by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. The Holy Spirit also testifies to us about this. First he says, this is the covenant I will make with them after that time, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their hearts. I will write them on their minds. Then he adds, their sins and lawless acts, I will remember no more. 
In fact, changing your world or your life, it's impossible without a trust in God. C.S. Lewis said it really well this way. The Christian does not think God will love us because we are good, but that God will make us good because he loves us. One more time on that. The Christian does not think God will love us because we are good, but that God will make us good because he loves us. We won't have victory because of our own strength, but because of God's strength. And this has been the plan as, as long as God has been speaking to man. Zechariah 4, 6 says, So he said to me, This is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by might nor by power, but, my, but by my spirit, says the Lord Almighty. Ephesians 2, 8, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not from yourselves, it is the gift of God. God has continually been impressing upon his people that this work of life change This work of world change is not something you can do on your own. You cannot change your heart on your own. You cannot change your family on your own. You cannot change the world on your own. God's method has always been reach the heart, and from there, everything else will grow and change. And this is also why many Christians have felt discouraged after they've set off on a noble purpose like Dwight Howard did, of I'm going to change the world, and I'm going to move the crowd around, and I'm going to make a big difference on other people. When God's heartbeat is walk closely with me and allow my spirit to work in you and then my spirit will work in the people around you. They, they will see your love for me and then things will change. And as a pastor, you know, I'm in the prime position to tell you that working with people, it's terrible sometimes because people do terrible things. They don't show up when they say they're going to. They show up when they're not supposed to. They use the last of your peppermint mocha creamer from the staff fridge without asking. They, they Photoshop someone else's face over the face of your wife and all the framed pictures in your office. That one was actually one that I did. Um, sorry, Nate and Sarah. Um, people do things that, that make it difficult, that make life difficult. And when in a good heart, you come to me and tell me, you know, my family member, they're really messed up and, and I really want to get them saved. I really want to fix them. You know, what do I need to do? Because I've been exhausting myself, dragging them to church and making them, you know, come around and and trying to push them into loving Jesus. And me or any other pastor, the best advice that you're going to get from us is what you need to do if you want to change them is you need to fall deeply in love with Jesus. You need to walk with him closely. You need to let his word reign in your life and in the way that you live it and the way that you make your decisions. You need to be a person of prayer and pray for them And God will open opportunities for you to share, but you're not going to be able to push them into loving Jesus. You're not. The only heart you can really control is your own. And if you want to see change in them, allow change to happen in you. Many people throughout history, um, who were there's lots of people who are throughout history known for moving lots of people around. And and one of them was Napoleon Bonaparte. And this is a quote that's attributed to him that that has always stuck with me. He said, I know men, and I tell you that Jesus Christ is no mere man. Between him and every other person in the world, there is no possible term of comparison. Alexander, Caesar, Charlemagne, and I founded empires. But on what did we rest the creations of our genius? Upon force. Jesus Christ founded his empire upon love, and at this hour, millions of people would die for him. Force can move people to an extent, but love can move mountains. Force can can drag someone to church with you, but only love can change someone's heart and life. Matthew 17, 20 talks about the impossible, and it says, Truly I tell you, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, Move from here to there, and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. You know, it doesn't say, 
nothing will take longer than three days for you. Um, but, but we do know that nothing is impossible with God. That, that when we pray and we trust him, that he accomplishes his purposes. And when we trust our life and the way that we live into his hands, we know that it's going to end well. And so what, what are the mountains that you would say you face? What is the thing that, that's going on in your relationship with God? And, and, and this whole, the whole push of this is that we change the world, not by our own strength, not, not by what we can do, but the whole push is that God changes our heart. God changes our mind. And that it's by his grace and his strength that we're able to do what we do in our community and our culture. It's us saying yes to God and allowing him to work. Changing the world is about obedience to God and letting him come in and do the work rather than trying to strive and do it on our own. And so is there anything that's before you right now that, that you would say, you know, this is the blockade for me. This is what I haven't been trusting God in. And maybe today you need to decide to, to put it behind you. Uh, if the band would go ahead and start making their way up, I'm going to um, bring this to a closing with, with this story. Uh, a couple, I've shared this story with some of you guys before, but to me, just the, the idea of obedience and prayer, it, there's no story I've experienced that, that communicates that more than this. Uh, a couple years back, I, I tore my rotator cuff in my right arm, and, and I could lift my hand right about here, and then it would stop. And if I grabbed my other hand and lifted it up, then it would hurt, and it would keep going, but it, it couldn't do anything up there. And I had three young daughters who, you know, I like to play with and, you know, throw up in the air. And I always catch them, too, when I throw them up and put them down safely. Um, but, but I couldn't do those things. Uh, I couldn't do the things that I was normally doing, couldn't play sports. But I was a dad and I was a pastor, and I didn't have time to stop and get surgery or get it checked out. And I could, you know, function. So I just kept going. And, and I went to a, a retreat in Colorado with some of my peers, and they, they had a service, and during that time, they said, you know, as scripture instructs, if anyone is sick, if anyone is hurt, you know, come forward and, and let the, the, your elders, let, let your peers pray for you and anoint you with oil and, you know, be obedient to scripture in that tonight. And I was not particularly moved by the service that day. Um, but there's that pastor thing that kind of kicked me in the butt and it's like, you have to obey God. You know, when God speaks something to you, you have to obey and go. So I went forward and, and let some guys that I didn't really know, you know, put their hands on me and pray for me, which is awkward at times. And they started praying and nothing emotional really happened. One guy was like praying for me and tickling my arm. And I just, oh, stop touching me. Um, and they prayed for me and I didn't feel any emotional fireworks going like, okay, I was obedient to God. That's, that counts for something. And so the prayer ended. They started playing the last song. And... It was just one of those things, well, I guess, you know, I need to see and just kind of lift my arm up. And, and for the first time in months, my arm went up with no pain all the way to the top. And since then, I haven't had any pain. And, and it's been good. And God did something that day. And my emotions weren't super connected to it. And I'll tell you, countless other times I've prayed and the answer that I got from God was the answer that he gave to the Apostle Paul when he prayed for healing in his own body. My grace is sufficient for you. You're gonna walk through this you're on my timeline, and you're going to learn from it, and my grace is enough for you. Sometimes when we bring it before God, he gives an instant answer, but both are good. Both are about growth. Both are about obedience to God. And so my encouragement to you today is that God wants to work in your heart and in your life, and only you and him know the step that you need to take. 
But if you need to take a step of obedience today, take it. For you, that decision might be made in your chair, it might be made at the altar, it might be made by asking someone to pray with you. But step towards him. And as you allow him to work in your heart, he's gonna bring his blessings into your life. And the biggest blessing is his presence as he walks with you through these days. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you that you are good, that you have good things in store for those who love you. And I ask that your spirit would give us boldness to walk closely with you. That the faith that you've placed in our heart will move the mountain that seems like it cannot be moved in our life. And whatever obstacles have been there, that they will be put to the side by your power so that we can see our heart change, that we can see our family change, and that we can see our world change because of the love that you've placed in our hearts and minds.